Welcome to Hastings Outdoors, your podcast for hunting, fishing, conservation, and more. Straight from the Mississippi Flyway to your hearts. Let's go! And I'm back! Welcome, ladies and gentlemen, to yet another episode of Hastings Outdoors. Uh, glad you can join me. Um, it is a lovely day, and, and and as each day passes and each day gets closer to duck season, um, I, I get I get a little more amped up, a little more excited, and a little more anxious all at the same time. And it's just, oh my gosh, I don't I don't want to wish time away, but at the same time, it's like, oh, I just I just I just wish. Oh man, I wish I wish it was I wish it was game on waterfowl season ready to go. But all things in due time. Um, not much in the way of updates as of right now. Um, I do have uh, uh, one thing I'm going to throw out there as far as an update type thing goes. Um, I have uh, pondered and and thought about for a while of doing uh, video podcasts. Um, if you're familiar with the Joe Rogan experience or, or many, many podcasts out there, uh, they do, uh, video and audio. Um, and I have contemplated doing that. I'm actually, I'm actually kind of, uh, working on setting up a little, uh, like a studio set in the dream building garage, man, I forgot to say that coming to you, not live from the garage where dreams are made the adventure building garage my garage ladies and gentlemen there you go got that out of the way but uh setting up a, a little kind of studio thing um to test out and and kind of practice and try and experiment with uh video podcasts obviously you can uh with spotify and whatnot you can uh just listen to it or you can watch it um not sure um, also, uh, branching out, uh, with the YouTube channel, uh, a lot of the, uh, reels from Instagram, I will share as shorts and whatnot on YouTube. And, um, if, if things go well and, um, if, if the, uh, video podcasts do well, I will, I will also try to get those out on YouTube as well, or maybe just some clips or excerpts. Uh, we'll see, but, um, yeah, that's in the works guys. So if you, if, if you're interested and if you're listening, go ahead and check out the, uh, YouTube page, just search Hastings outdoors. You'll see there the little, uh, little thumbnail there for, uh, it's the same as the podcast. And if that's something you're interested in, uh, check out that page and, and whatnot. And, um, <clears throat> yeah, just, I, I guess if, if things go well here in the near ish future, I can't make any promises or give a definite uh, timeline, but uh, video podcasts are in the works guys. Um, not much else to really go over other than getting stuff ready for season. Um, I, uh, I got to dig the blind out at least one more time before season and, and do some, some final touches on it. I don't know. Uh, I don't know how many of you out there, might do this or if I'm just crazy or if I'm the only one, but, uh, along with the raffia grass on the blind itself, um, and there's pics up on Instagram of all this stuff, guys. So go check it out. I like to take the, uh, Rust-Oleum brand camouflage paint, uh, specifically, I think it's a dark earth or, um, it's a super dark Brown that they have in their camouflage, um, line. And, uh, I like to take that and just kind of darken up um a little bit uh kind of an overspray type uh application um and really when i when i do that um oh, let's see i like to uh to spray it uh at a distance so i'm not i'm not really 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 getting a thick coat of this on there it's more of a dusting um and i like to spray it in big arching swoops kind of mimicking um uh the, the tall blades of grass style of like camo from back in the day. Um, but, um, obviously it's, it's, there's no, no real distinct, 
um, lines. It just, in my opinion, it kind of adds a little bit of a shadow effect and gives it a, just a fuzz more of a depth to it. Uh, so it does just, you know, so it doesn't look just like a wall of grass. That's what I'm getting at. And I, I'll do that with uh, their dark green camo and the dark brown camo. And uh, if it if that if it looks good with those two, um, then I'm good to go. But if it if I want to try to add a little more depth to the appearance, then I will go with their uh, flat black camo also, and really try to, um, to try to shade that in a little bit and and give it a little more um, depth. I mean, I, I just I don't want it to look like a wall of grass because that doesn't seem very natural to me. And so try to give it that little, little trickery of a 3D-ish. Uh, there's a little bit of depth to it. It doesn't look like a wall look. Um, so yeah, I've got to get that done. And other than that, um, not a whole lot going on, guys. I've, I've been practicing. Um, I practice with the uh, 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 Franky Affinity 3. I totally just had a brain fart on that name. The Franke Affinity 3, I've, I've had it out, uh, practiced it. Um, still, uh, still looking to find some time to start patterning that thing. Uh, from what I've seen on the interwebs, the best choke for that gun from uh, a lot of different sources. Um, everyone seems to be saying that the Carlson's Cremator uh, non-ported uh, seems to be uh, the best for that gun. And fortunately... I have one of those. Um, I, I used it on the Charles Daly 601 that I had, the uh, betrayal of a shotgun, um, the glorified paperweight, whatever you want to call it, uh, trying to trying to just squeak out the best performance I could. And it patterned well, uh, but uh, functionality was an issue with that gun, so it doesn't matter how good the choke was. So going to try out the ammo I used before. I believe it was Federal, but uh, not sure on that. May have been Winchester. I'm going to have to actually get the details on that. But I was shooting three inch. And uh, forgive me, guys. I've had a lot on my mind and a lot going on and a lot of irons in the fire. So I, I can't recall off the top of my head the shot size. But um, I will get out there, test that, pattern it, and uh, come back with information for you guys. I am also going to test slash pattern the chokes that came with that gun. Uh, for those of you who don't know, the Franke Affinity 3 Waterfowl Elite uh, 12 gauge, um, it's chambered in three inch. It comes with three extended waterfowl style chokes. Uh, one is close range, mid range, and then long range. And uh, I'm, I'm gonna check those out too, to see how they do, because who knows, uh, maybe for, for what I'm shooting, one of those may be preferential so on and so forth, but I will uh, experiment, test, and report. Uh, that way you guys can uh, have that information for what it's worth, and if, if you have one of those guns, maybe uh, maybe that can help you out in the future, and um, we'll see what happens. Fingers crossed, guys. Fingers crossed. Everything goes good, and I can use the ammo that I already have because I bought a ton of it. Um, but we'll see. We'll see. Um I dabbled a little bit with uh, practicing my calls here lately, and um, along with practicing my duck calls, I uh, I've added some some candidates to the spread for this year. Uh, there were a lot of opportunities that I I potentially could have had um, this past season, my first season, and uh, I I definitely want to take advantage of that this year. Um, Knowing my luck, I won't see a single Canada this year since I put these in my spread, but we'll see. Uh, but I've been working on my my goose calling, and I, I was grossly underestimating the, I don't want to say difficulty, but the difference in uh, goose calling versus duck calling. I feel like I picked up uh, duck calling relatively uh, quick. It... it Took a little bit of time, and I still practice it. And I'm, I'm by no means a uh, grand champion caller here, guys. But um, goose calling—I mean, just the first uh, first initial reaction to trying to learn it and and watching dozens of videos and and tips and all that good stuff. 
It seems like a whole different ball game with some minor, minor overlap, but not a lot. Uh, so much, much more work is needed um, to, to be able to uh, work that call or run that call in an appropriate way or at least in a semi-productive, successful way. So more updates on that to come. All right, so the um, I guess the the meat of this podcast here is um, I don't know uh, I don't want to say controversial. It may be a uh, um, it's definitely going to be be my opinion, my thoughts, and stuff. And I, I'm not going to try and persuade or change anyone's mind. I'm just I've, I've had this thought for a long time, and I I just kind of want to throw it out there and see see what people think. Um, uh, I'm definitely, um, not trying to be negative in any way, shape or form with this, but I, I do, it, it brings up a lot of questions for me, which I'll address. Um, but the, the topic that I've been thinking about for a long time is the idea of hunting and fishing as a sport and the commercialization of said sports and um yeah let's let's just dive on into this because it this could be a giant can of worms and i'm trying to um cover a lot of ground without digging too far in the weeds or throwing in too much speculation or uh simply relying on my opinion and all that jazz and um just just trying to trying to throw some ideas out there and who knows, maybe I'm completely off my rocker with this one, guys. I don't know. Uh, I'll let you guys be the judge. But um, so I, 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 for the longest time, have had a really hard, uh, hard, hard time or hard, uh, um, whatever you want to call it. I've had a, a difficult time, I should say, of wrapping my head around the idea of hunting and fishing being a sport. I really, I really, it, it just doesn't, it doesn't jive for me. It doesn't really, it, it seems like they're two different things for me. Um, so just to give you guys my thoughts on, on what, how I view hunting and fishing. And, and this isn't going to be the most eloquent uh, description guys, but um, just kind of off the cuff here. Um, I don't see, I'll start with just hunting. I don't see hunting as a sport per se, uh, because when you compare it to other sports, uh, you know, uh, for example, team sports, um, even solo sports, whatever, you know, uh, football, rugby, uh, wrestling, tennis, uh, basketball, golf, whatever. When you compare it to those, it just doesn't seem like it fits at least in my mind. And, um, I, I just, I, I have a hard time wrapping my head around that, how, how it become or became, uh, a quote unquote sport. Um, it just, I, I, I don't get it. It, to me, a sport implies there's a game now, <laughs> not to get too crazy on, on the use of the word game here, but, I know, I know someone out there like me is probably saying, yeah, well, there's game and hunting, <laughs> but, um, no, uh, to me, like the word sport implies, um, a game. So like a soccer or football game where there's opposing teams, they're keeping score. And at the end, whoever has the best score wins. When I think of sport, that's what I think of is something that um, where there's either a goal or a an opposition and it's quantified and at the end, whoever did better wins or whoever did best wins. And um, I don't, I really don't like that. I, and, and I guess the same goes with fishing. I don't need to separate them there, but um, I really, I really just don't like the concept of that. Now I know with fishing, there is tournament fishing and yes, uh, you're scored on weight and, um, you can be scored on a big fish. You can be scored on weight, uh, all that stuff. And there's a season and, um, 
you're ranked throughout the season, you know, based on individual tournaments and so on. And you can win money. And I, I don't really know what to make of that. I'm not, I'm not trying to knock it by any way, shape or form guys. I, I'm, not, I'm not saying there's anything wrong with it. It's just not my cup of tea. I mean, don't get me wrong. I, I, I follow, I follow guys like Kevin Van Dam. I follow guys like Scott Martin. I'm a big fan of Roland Martin and, um, gosh, I'm losing these names. Oh my goodness. I totally just dropped two or three names right there in my brain, I should say. Um, but, um, goodness gracious, that's going to drive me up a wall. I'm, I'm going to have to look that up. I am so sorry, guys. Uh, I hate that. I get ahead of myself and then totally forget a name. Oh, okay. So like Bill Dance and, um, like uh, Jimmy Houston, there we go. I, I go to search for it, and the names pop in my head. Yeah, I, I, I'm a fan of those guys. They seem like good guys. Um, they they all uh, essentially made a living off of tournament bass fishing, and and there's nothing wrong with that. I I, I don't mind it. I mean, don't get me wrong. I'm not going to watch a tournament. And I don't follow the circuit circuits. I, I've I've never been that into watching stuff like that on TV. But, um, as, as far as those guys go, I've, I've, I've seen a lot of what I would consider their outside of tournament fishing stuff, you know, tips and tricks, um, you know, uh, infotainment, if you will, uh, product lines, all that kind of stuff. So I, I'm, you know, like shoot for Kevin Van Dam, I, I use a lot of his signature lures and, and like soft plastics and hooks and all that jazz um through strike king the kvd series i use a lot of that stuff it's good stuff um so i just i I, i'm just i don't know i guess my my one of my concerns is that um have have we gone too far commercializing hunting and fishing i know fishing specifically because and again this isn't this isn't a uh derogatory comment but uh, tournament bass fishing has essentially turned into the NASCAR of fishing. I mean, just look at the, the, the jerseys, these guys wear. look at their boats, their trucks, everything's wrapped and, and, uh, sponsors and all that stuff to the gills. And I, I, I don't know. It just, it just, man, it seems, it just seems so, so crazy to me that, uh, that's what that's become. And I mean, it, it, you know, you know, it's, I'm sure it raises awareness for, uh, fishing. I'm sure it's gotten a lot of people interested in or, or into fishing. And, uh, hopefully I really don't know on this, but I'm fingers crossed on this one. Hopefully there is some sort of conservation effort that's done through, uh, through those activities. And I don't know, but I'm sure, I'm sure, I'm sure there's been a lot of benefits to it, uh, but man, it's just it's just a hard pill to swallow for me, guys. And uh, like I said, it's nothing negative. I mean, I've I have watched you know stuff here and there. Um, I, like I said, I've I've watched a lot of guys uh, show tips, tricks, all that stuff. Um, so I mean, it's no knock to any of those tournament fishermen, and, and none of that, you know. None of that crap, but, um, I don't know, I'm curious. I'm curious. And I, I, I'm unfortunately, I don't have the information. It, I don't have the, I really don't have the time to research it, but I, I would be interested to see what kind of impact that's having on, uh, the fish, what kind of impact that's having on fishing in general, uh, that kind of thing. I, I will say that, uh, with the rise of, uh, fishing, channels on youtube especially bass fishing stuff like that i've seen a lot more people getting into bass fishing which isn't a bad thing uh, the more the merrier in my opinion but where is it going from there is it is it a fad that's going to fizzle out and, and and be deflated here in a few years or uh whatever um I don't know. I guess, I guess time will tell on that one, but kind of back to hunting. Cause that's really more, more what I want to talk about. Um, has hunting become too commercialized? 
and um i guess i i guess i i have seen um a lot of hunting shows excuse me and a lot of uh hunting media and it seems like it seems like they're trying to follow the script that uh tournament fishing did as far as how they do their shows and stuff like that and um let's be honest guys big fish are good for ratings um big big deer are great for ratings big elk are great for ratings but the problem the the problem i see with a lot of it and that there are some exceptions out there but an overall general theme i mean since i was a kid it, it seems like it's been this way where it's been an endless pursuit of guys who seem like they can hunt anywhere they want with uh with gear that a sponsor gave them for name dropping them on a show or throwing commercial in and um they're they're chasing uh, specifically with whitetail because i think i feel like that's the, the most prolific uh hunting uh media out there um and uh i think it i think it sets the most unrealistic um idea of whitetail hunting in general um and i honestly believe that at least for the area i live in the rise of um the uh pursuit of giant bucks with a massive rack and all that crap i i i honestly believe that that has led to uh fewer opportunities in my area specifically, at least, um, because there are so many people who are just out there. And this is just my opinion here. This is my opinion. This, this could be seen as, is pretty derogatory, but, uh, there, there are a lot of people out there who have the means and simply want to go get a trophy. And, uh, that's not to say it's everyone. I don't want to make an all inclusive statement and just broadcast everyone as that be, you know, that typical stereotypical, uh, you know, guy who goes out and buys a brand new Sitka gear and a brand new rifle and all this stuff and drops eight grand on a, on a lease and, uh, is, is just out there to shoot a monster buck. Um, that's not, that's not everyone. I get that. But, I've, I've personally witnessed that trend in my own, my, the own area where I live and hunt. And, um, it's kind of frustrating. It's kind of frustrating because, and I've even, I've even known uh, a few friends, one specifically who, uh, lost his hunting lease that he'd, he'd had for, oh, I'd say close to a decade uh, because someone came in with a, a fistful of cash and said he wanted to hunt monster deer or something like that, you know, and it, it, it's, 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 it's just frustrating guys. I feel like, I feel like there's positives to all of this and I feel like there's negatives, to all this. And, and what I'm, what, I guess what I'm getting at is, are, are we better off to quit treating this like a sport? Like it's like, it's some sort of all-star game here. Um, are the, are the giant buck videos, are the giant bass videos, are they establishing a trend that maybe we don't really want, you know, looking down the road, looking in, into the foreseeable future, is, is this something we really want to see, or should we really be pushing more towards a realistic, um, version of those activities. And like I said, guys, this is just my thoughts, my concerns or concerns, really not really concerns, but my thoughts and, and looking forward to the future of hunting and fishing in general, what kind of precedents are we setting now? And how is that going to impact the future of hunting and fishing? Um, and just just to dive into some stuff here, guys, um, I did I did look up some some information to not necessarily to support my my idea or my thought here, but uh, just to guy, give you guys some information on on hunting in general and um, 
Yeah. Let's see here. I wanted to start off with uh, specifically like hunting videos in general because I, I don't want to see hunting turn into a NASCAR style event where it's just uh, so commercialized and, and so unrealistic for the average person and all that jazz. So uh, let me try to find this tab here real quick, guys. Uh, let's see here. Okay. So I, I pulled some, I just pulled some information. This is from one source and this is from the sportsman's channel. And again, nothing against the sportsman's channel. This is just some information that I found and, and I will add a, um, a disclaimer here. Uh, this information is from the sportsman's channel. It is a traditional, uh, television, uh, media platform. As far as I know, I'm sure they have content online as well and um all that jazz but uh this is what i would call the uh they they would fall into a traditional tv hunting frame if you will and uh i, I was searching for a, a, an average age of uh viewers who watch um say the sportsman channel say uh uh whitetail hunting on tv that kind of thing and um from the Sportsman Channel uh, website, I found this information that says uh, their key audience data. Unsurprisingly, 83% of their audience is male. And the median age of their audience is 53 years old. Now, I'm not going to say anything negative about that age. I'm not ageist by any means, but looking down the road in, in 20 years, who's, who's going to be their audience? Um, I, I know that there is a, and this is kind of the, dis, the disclaimer I, I was getting at with this being a standard TV type um, media. There is a plethora of, hunting and stuff on YouTube. Uh, there's, there's more and more podcasts every day about hunting and all that jazz. And so I understand that, um, traditional media, media forms and media outlets, um, may be experiencing a, uh, a slight skew in their data, uh, and their audience based off of the influx of YouTube channels and other media outlets for hunting. So bear that in mind. Um, but I guess what, uh, I wonder what the future that's going to look like. And I, I wonder if, uh, my generation is, is going to, uh, consume that or really consume much of it at all. Um, uh, that kind of leads me to my next point or my next uh, bit of information for you guys. And um, let me find the correct link here. Let's see. I believe this is the right one. I pulled this from uh, Delta Waterfowl's uh, website. I'm trying to find the date of the article to make sure that it's it's relatively current, guys. Um, sorry, bear with me while I, I kind of peruse this article to, uh, see how current it is. And unfortunately they didn't, they didn't really put a date on it or I'm not able to find it. Um, however, it, I, I believe this was based off of the, uh, 2020 migratory, uh, bird hunting, Activity and Harvest Report, which I'm going to go ahead and open that link real quick and pull that up. Nope, page not found. Guess we aren't looking at that. Anywho, so uh, I'll, I'll read you this first paragraph and then we'll kind of skip through some of this information because we don't need all of this information. We just want the general concept, at least as it pertains to what I'm talking about. So the first paragraph uh, starts with, how many Americans went waterfowling last season? 
what states shot the most ducks, and what species were most frequently harvested. All that and other intriguing statistics are available in the U.S. Fish and Wildlife Service's 2020 Migratory Bird Hunting Activity and Harvest Report. So there, I guess this is just a breakdown of that report uh, on Delta Waterfowl's website. Um, but uh, seeing that it's the report for 2020, I think I think we'll just call that a um, put an asterisk by that because of uh, I, you can't say that the pandemic didn't have an influence on that. So um, I guess I guess what I'm getting at is um, how how is hunting culture and the hunting community and hunting media how how is it having an impact on the number of hunters is it is it not i'm not sure but uh i think one thing i I guess what i would like to see guys is that i would like to see uh and youtube youtube is absolutely helping out with this a lot there's a lot of channels on youtube that are pretty much all about this but i would like to see an an influx of hunting media and and whatnot and hunting culture of being more towards the the average person's experience versus these uh you know lights out rock star hunts and these mega bass and these giant giant whitetail giant elk which don't get me wrong that stuff's cool and yeah as far as traditional media goes man that's all that's that's ratings galore but what are we really, what are we really saying? What are we really, really putting out there? If, if that's all our media is, is just pumping out there and what kind of effect does that have? And I'm not saying it's good, bad or whatever, but I, I'm asking the question. I'm literally asking what impact will that have on the future of hunting and fishing? Um, because I know, I know in my area specifically, it's really, it's really put a damper on, uh, and I, I can't contribute it to just that, but I've seen an influx of money come in and buy up a bunch of leases and land. And, um, it's, it's kind of become really exclusive in my area as far as hunting goes. That's one of the reasons I don't have a whitetail property right now is because, um, I'm trying to find something that's decent, trying to find something that's, that doesn't have to be perfect, but, trying to find something that I could, I could even afford on, on a working man's budget here is just, it seems like an impossible task. The search continues, but as of right now, it's just, it's so the, the price and, and the, um, I don't know, I guess the best way to put it is that the price for hunting land around here, if you can find someone willing to lease it, is so overinflated right now because of the uh, the theoretical demand for that that it's just it it's just getting ridiculous and it that doesn't benefit anyone except for a very few select who can who have the means to pay that for hunting and and so on and I, I guess to boil it down what I'm what I'm really concerned about is hunting numbers are have been steadily decreasing and uh especially with waterfowl uh that that seems to be a big topic lately and um as far as fishing goes i'm not sure but i i imagine it's it's not too far off from that and my issue with that is is if hunting if hunting culture and the hunting community is behaving and this is just a theoretical if if something the hunting culture is doing or hunting community is doing is causing a decline in hunter numbers or fisher numbers whatever that's we got to do something about that because the the more in my opinion the more the merrier and i I know there's probably someone out there like oh my gosh i can't get out in this refuge because there's a thousand boats well if there's only one guy in each one of those boats, that's a thousand migratory bird stamps that were purchased. That's a good thing. 
uh, last last I knew, as far as price goes, that'd be twenty five thousand dollars. Boom, right there to conservation. That's a good thing, and and I know it may be frustrating at times, it may be frustrating in certain areas, it may may just seem ridiculous, but conservation needs all the help and get guys. And so every every hunting license that's purchased, every fishing license that that's purchased, migratory game bird stamps, all that stuff. Everything that's purchased for that, as far as licensing and stamps and all that stuff, is is money for conservation. And a plus with the uh, was it the Robertson Pittman Act, I think it was. Let me just verify real quick, guys. So I'm not just blowing smoke here. All right, bear with me while I perform two tasks at once. So Pittman Robertson, I had it backwards. Um, but so, uh, for the, for those of you who aren't aware, I'm just going to fill you on and give you more information here. The Pittman Robertson act uh, was passed in 1937 and, uh, is now known as the federal aid in wildlife restoration. Um, so what that means is everything, everything, um, everything purchased for hunting and fishing, I believe. Um, let's just, let's just peruse this a fuzz. Um, I'm just, I'm going to read a little bit of this paragraph. Um, uh, let's see. Oh, so I guess it's, I guess it's firearms and, uh, firearms and ammunition that, uh, is, is taxed with this. So, um, just the first chunk of this paragraph, guys, it says that, in the early 1900s, uh, when many wildlife species were disappearing or declining, the firearms and ammunition industries asked Congress to impose an excise tax on the sale of firearms and ammunition to help fund wildlife conservation in the United States. The resulting Pittman-Robertson Act, passed in 1937, is known as the Federal Aid and Wildlife Restoration. Revenues generated from the uh, these excise taxes are appropriated to state wildlife agencies for their conservation efforts, hunter education programs, and operation of archery and shooting ranges. Uh, let's see. And this part, uh, this is from... Um, uh, this is from Mississippi's Wildlife Fisheries and Parks website. So after that, it kind of dives into uh, data specific to Mississippi. But I'll give it to you guys anyway and, and try to make it quick here. Um, basically... Uh, it says in the 76 years of its inception, over 7 billion have been collected from manufacturers and have been made available to states, including over 116 million to Mississippi. Uh, this partnership of hunters and sport shooters with uh, the firearms and ammunition industry is by far America's largest contributor to wildlife conservation and public access to our natural resources. And uh, just uh, one more paragraph, and then I'll, I'll quit reading to you guys. <laughs> so the uh, the title of this, uh, or the headline for this paragraph is, How Does the Pittman-Robertson Act Work? The excise tax is set by law at 11% of the wholesale price for long guns and ammunition, 10% for handguns. Uh, it is paid by manufacturers, producers, and importers, and applies to all commercial sales and imports whether their purpose is hunting, sport shooting, or personal defense. This tax, handled by the Department of Treasury, which turns, uh, which turns the funds over to the U.S. Fish and Wildlife Service for pro, uh, a por was it? apportionments. That is a word I haven't seen in a long time. Apportionments to states. So, uh, I, was mis mis I misspoke a little bit on that one. I, I, I threw in fishing with that as well. So every, every firearm uh, and every bit of ammunition is taxed at a higher percentage, 11% for uh, long guns and ammunition, long guns being, uh, you know, like bolt action rifles, shotguns, and ammunition is all the ammunition, and 10% uh, for handguns. Um, yeah, that's, that's pretty hefty, guys. And so, man... So, in theory, if you have fewer people deciding to partake in hunting, 
fewer people like me who wanted to try out waterfowl hunting bought a, a, a cheap shotgun just because I didn't know if I'd like it and then ended up buying a, a more expensive shotgun because I didn't like it. Uh, that that purchase there is then taxed and goes to conservation. So not only not only with hunter numbers down, are we losing the 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 those license sales, the stamp sales, and all that stuff. We're also losing the purchase of firearms, the purchase of ammunition. All that money is is up in smoke, guys. It's gone if hunters are decreasing. Now, as long as as long as X amount of hunters keep hunting, then there's still that that revenue for conservation. But if it's on a steady decline, as many people and many sources are saying. Uh, that means the money for conservation is also on a decline. So, in theory, if we want better hunting opportunities, if we want uh, more opportunities or more places to hunt, if we want uh, more habitat for uh, like waterfowl production or game production, then we need more hunters. Now, I understand that when the government's involved, the money gets a little weird and, and it's kind of, you know, whatever. I get that. The politics of it, I get it. But as of right now, as the system works, if we want more, we need more. So, I guess to, to, to bring this back around and, and just... It, my main concern is by by calling hunting and fishing a sport are we creating are we are we we promoting exclusivity is the commercialism with these big brands and these these uh, this outrageously expensive equipment is this is this alienating some people because i would i i i hate to think it but at the same time i can't help but think it that uh you know, these guys out here shooting whitetail with, you know, $3,000 worth of archery gear. Or these guys going out and, and shooting uh, elk or whatever with, you know, $4,000 of rifle. And and not to mention the camouflage and, and the the other stuff like Ozonics or whatever else. You know, all their gear too. They've got... Man, if you, if you, if you, if you calculated the retail price of, of the gear... And the equipment some of these guys uses, excluding the cameras, I mean, it is through the roof. So, what kind of what kind of expectation or, or what kind of message is that sending? I, for me, guys, I couldn't afford to spend fifteen grand on gear just to go hunt whitetail. And I understand that the commercials pay the bills, but at the same time, do we need to pay those bills? I don't know. For me, for me personally, I, I, the reason I wanted to start this podcast, the reason I wanted to kind of put this stuff out there, it it all ties into this because what I wanted to do is share my journey into waterfowl hunting with people who may not know a lot about it. Uh, people who, um, wanted to do it on a budget to share my outdoors, waterfowl hunting, hunting in general, fishing, all that stuff. Uh, boats, all that stuff, all my outdoor activities. I wanted to share my approach to it, my learning, uh, my lessons that I've, I've learned, my experience, uh, my tips and tricks, stuff I've learned along the way, all that stuff, guys. I'm wanting to share my experience with people out there who don't want to go spend a crap ton of money just to do whatever. Or, or, you know, not a lot of people have that kind of money to go drop on that stuff. Plain and simple. The vast majority of Americans, uh, from, from what I've heard, um, it, I forget, I forget the source on this guys, but you can, you can look this up. But, uh, for the most part, most Americans couldn't afford a thousand dollar crisis. And with inflation on the rise with, uh, it's just, it's driving me nuts guys. I, I, I don't know. And again, nothing against nothing against the the traditional hunting shows, the all that stuff. 
Um, if you like it, cool. I like seeing some of those shows too. I, I it's not my cup of tea all the time. It's not something I'm going to go out of my way for. But if I'm over at a buddy's house and he's watching uh, Mark Jury or someone like that chase a whitetail, then okay, I'll watch it. Maybe I can learn something. I don't know. Who knows? So I'm I'm not trying to cast or, or shed a negative light on that stuff, but uh, more or less um, open open my mind and and just kind of air this out a little bit of looking forward uh, down the generations um, to the future of hunting and fishing. Um, I feel like there's 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 more people who who probably couldn't go, you know, drop 1500 bucks on a shotgun than there are people who could. I don't know. Maybe that's just me. Um, you know, the millennial generation, um, last I knew was the biggest generation since the baby boomers. And, and so I, I would hate to see so many people miss out on the opportunity to one, get into hunting and to support conservation and all that jazz um, by their, their purchases, by licensing, by all that stuff. And, and to watch the, the state of hunting continually decline. Um, if, if hunting continues to be uh, a price tag, if it continues to be uh, kind of this elitist, type thing and um not not everyone not everyone's made of money guys and if you're like me you're definitely not made of money and you're trying to do stuff on a budget and so that's that's just kind of kind of where i'm at and i I, and, and i guess just to get back to square one here i don't i don't see hunting as a sport because i see it more as a lifestyle um for me the reason i i really started whitetail hunting was to get meat in the freezer um, I enjoy the outdoors. I enjoy uh, nature. I enjoy seeing wildlife, not just harvesting wildlife, but uh, to put meat in the freezer. Uh, I, I like fishing because really, it doesn't cost a lot to do it. And it's something fun. Um, I like I like the challenge of it. I like the chase, the pursuit. But um yeah, it's it's to me it's more of a lifestyle, and um, it shouldn't be seen as this. In my opinion, it shouldn't be seen as this um, bravado type, uh, braggadocious, um, elitist type thing. It's it's not a bunch of jocks in a locker room bragging about whatever. It should be hunters and fishers supporting each other and all that stuff and, and working towards conservation and trying to trying to push, uh, not push, but trying to promote and trying to encourage uh, as many people as possible to at least experience it and at least uh, understand it or, or dive into it or uh, really to really promote conservation and to get more people out there. And, um, that's that's one of the things that's that's been on my mind that it, it, I've had a hard time trying to um, really really figure out how I wanted to, to take this episode. I've I've been sitting on it for a long time, guys, and um, it's I don't know. Like I said, there's a lot of variables that go into it, and there's a lot of research, and there's no one size fits all explanation for any of this. But um, I think hunting and fishing and conservation needs all the help it can get. And uh, especially um, here recently, guys, and I, I don't like to dive into politics, but literally um, within the last few days or so, um, uh, this administration defunded school uh, schools that uh, had hunting and archery programs. Now, I haven't really dove into this much, but... Um, I'll just read a little bit of an excerpt here from Forbes. Um, the title of this article is experts warn defunding school hunting and archery programs will contribute to mental health crisis. Um, 
And this this was posted uh, July 31st, 2023 at 4.08. And um, I don't know, I'll just read this this first little little tidbit here. And um, <clears throat> it says, as America faces a storm of geopolitical threats, endures uh, a flood of fentanyl streaming across a largely open southern border, now killing some 100,000 Americans annually. Uh, wrestles with soaring inflation and experiences unmitigated crime in many of our large cities. The Biden administration recent uh, Biden administration's recent move to defund schools that offer hunting, safety, and archery programs have many questioning President Biden's priorities. So, like I said, guys, it may not seem like a big issue, but hunting, fishing, and conservation needs all the help it can get. So. I guess, I guess my takeaway from this, and, and there's a lot of, you know, you can get in the weeds of all this stuff, but my takeaway from this is hunting should be an inclusive thing. Fishing should be an inclusive thing. And I, I want, I want to promote and I want to, I want to be the change I want to see. And I'm, I'm trying to do everything I can, uh, to make sure that one price isn't an issue and two that, uh, it, it's not just, uh, you know, the stereotypical good old boys club and, 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 and a rich person's activity or hobby or whatever. So who knows? Tell me what you guys think. And on that note, I'll catch you guys later. Uh, get out there, stay safe, have fun, work on conservation, all that good stuff. Thanks for listening. Hey everyone, thanks for listening. I hope you enjoyed this episode and you're liking the podcast so far. If you guys could do me a massive favor, I would greatly appreciate it. Check out Hastings Outdoors on Instagram, Facebook, and YouTube. Like, share, subscribe, follow, all that good stuff. And stay tuned for more Hastings Outdoors content. Thanks for listening.